for those of you that have a family business that understand is, you know, if it's been passed along from generation to generation, somebody had to start this thing. And just like sometimes a brand is the hardest thing to start, a business is just like it. There's always risk go along with that, but that's the fun part. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Tim Elliott, the CEO of Access. Welcome to Access Points. You know, from time to time, we have guests on, and today is one of those really special days for me, and that I have one of my really good friends that I've known for quite some time on. His name is Stephen Wang. Stephen, say hello. Hey. Hey, Tim. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, you bet. Glad you're here. So, Stephen brings a unique perspective on not only from a professional standpoint, but also uh, I relate because we both have family businesses. Yeah, we do. It's one of the coolest stories. I tell him all the time, one of the coolest stories is how his family started the business. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But today, you and I have been able to have some conversations over the last few years and talk about everything from websites to employees to teams and strengths and all kinds of stuff. And so yeah. you're one of the people that I really enjoy spending time with. And uh, in fact, you know, how you and I met is through strategic coach. Yeah. And I don't know, I can't remember, did we meet at strategic coach or was it at the airport? I think we met at strategic coach, but we always happened to be on the same flight up there and the same flight back. Right. So, and we got really close on the flights up there and then on the flights back. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. So I didn't realize until I guess I saw the, the list of all the people that were there. And I think it lists out the name of the person and then it lists out uh, where they're from, what yes. their company yeah. is, where it's yeah. from. And I saw yeah. that you were the Dallas area. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, wow. Okay. We got, I got to get to know this guy. Yeah. And so I think that's when we started seeing each other in the flights and we yeah. have conversations and Steven's in the fashion business. So you would think the fashion business and the software business would be very, very different. But the more we talk, the more we realize that, you know, it's not that different. You know, what we produce is different, but uh, the way we go about dealing with things sometimes is kind of the same. So let, let me, let's just start off with this. Tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and your company. Okay. Well, I, I do want to point this out. Uh, like during, uh, for those that don't know Strategic Coach, it's like an entrepreneurial training. Right. Like kind of like a mentorship. And so we sit in class with a bunch of entrepreneurs, but I get way more value off of the, like the meals that I've had with Tim. Like I look forward to the trip up and the trip back just as much as the three days right. that we spend there with the rest of the group. Right? right. And I just think having that kind of connection with an entrepreneur like you just really makes that, that difference. So, so and thank I, you for I that. Think, yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. I can remember vividly and I can't remember what year it was. But it was after everybody kind of talks about, hey, where do you want to go? And let's go grab, you know, a beer or grab yeah. dinner or something. And, and I can there was probably about 10 of us, I guess. We yeah. grabbed a beer at some place yeah. down the street. I think yeah. we walked down there. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody was talking about different issues they had or problems they were facing. And has anybody ever dealt with these before? And, and you were in the middle of changing up your website. I remember yeah. that vividly. Yeah. And uh, and one of the things that I love most about you is you absorb things really well. And you ask questions really well. And the way that, you know, people would say, hey, I've done this or tried this or this worked for me. And you're really good about pulling more from them. 
right? <laughs> and that, okay, this is really good. I'm getting a lot out of this. Tell me this and tell me that. You know, everyone loves to share their story. That's why we have this podcast. And, yeah. And yeah. those of you that listen to Access Points have heard me say this before, but, you know, we really don't get anything out of it, right? We yeah. don't. Yeah. It's a pure expense for us. Yeah. But what we get out of it is, is meeting some really interesting people, yeah. um, being able to share some viewpoints of, I wish someone would have told me this yeah. seven years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, you've been that for me a lot of times of sharing some things with me. So, yeah. So tell us about you and, okay. and where you're from originally and, and your business and all that. So my name is Steven. I'm part of a women's apparel. You can call it a fashion distribution company because we own some of the brands that we distribute, but we also license and we also partner with a number of other brands. Oh, wow. Because nowadays, when my parents first started this business, probably 35 years ago, they were really, really heavy in manufacturing, mm-hmm. right? So when I, when I did join the business, we essentially only sold and distributed the things that we actually manufactured ourselves. But to expand in manufacturing capabilities and technologies, it's very expensive. And in our space, to be able to start a brand from zero and make it successful, it's very, very hard. Just from, a, from an expense standpoint, what's different? Just like in, in terms of any business, they kind of always say like your first million is the hardest one to right, make, right? right. So there's the same thing in terms of any type of brand, when you, you're looking to acquire a new customer, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, you want to build a loyal customer base, right? right? And it's that first, I don't know, 1,000 customers, 10,000, 100,000 customers that's really, essentially really, really hard to, to acquire. And a lot, of the, a lot of the times, you have pretty decent brands that haven't been managed properly uh, over the years, and it's easier to kind of take one of those brands and operate it in, in a manner that that allows it to be successful so you're not essentially starting from scratch. Right. So what we try to do right now is we try to build a brand portfolio. And we, we are very, very focused in terms of who we try to target. So we uh, target women only with, you know, I don't like to put an age to this, but I would say women over the age of 45 mm-hmm. with a decent amount of disposable income, mm-hmm. right? Most of the relationships that we have at the retail level are with retailers such as Dillard's, Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, Bloomingdale's, Von Maurer, right? So like most of those retail partners, you know, they cater to a certain audience and we try to do our best to have a portfolio of products that, that meets their needs. And then in addition to that, we invested heavily because when we first met probably four or five years ago, that was really when we were doing like our having investing in terms of direct to consumer. Right. I remember part, that. part of our business. Yeah. You know, e-commerce has always been very, very important. It's, it's even more important today in this current co- it's gotta be, right? COVID landscape. Right. So like, you know, thank God we did that kind of investment three or four years ago and not wait until right now, because, you know, right now with the way that spending habits, just general consumer behavior is not the same. And we don't know when it's going to be back to quote unquote normal, right? right? So that e-commerce component is essentially really, really important. So if you talk about an organization's unique ability in terms of where we sit in the, in the space is that if there's any brand that actually wants a omni-channel distribution where they have a organization that has the ability to have a fully accessible e-commerce platform 
for a certain brand mm-hmm. and to have that brand in the in the presence in any one of the retailers that I've just mentioned. Right. We're kind of in a, in a fairly unique place where there's two parts. Usually there are companies that just do a very good job of on the wholesale side and there's companies that do a very good job on the, the, the e-commerce side. And most of the times these organizations are quite large. So usually they won't touch any brand unless they can say like minimum, like $50 million in terms of volume on an annual basis. But because we're much smaller and we can do both, you know, we really, really try to find the right. At the end of the day, though, to me, it's still product driven. Really? Right. It's not, it's business is business, but we're still trying to add value to the customer. Right. 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 So, you know, we, we try to partner with, with brands that, that, that have the ability to make a solid product that's different from what else is out there. Right. And then generally has a, I would say a, a loyal customer base to begin with. Right. And usually when, when you have a loyal customer base, there's a reason for that. It's, it's usually because you have a pretty solid product right. to start. And, and that's one of the unique things about, and what I've learned is, and you and I've talked about this, but people have listened to podcasts have maybe heard me in the past talking about my daughter going to New York for the summer and yeah. some things yeah. she's learned and, yeah. and, you know, her being in the fashion business over the summer, you know, it's, it's, I've learned a ton yeah. about how things happen. And I've yeah. also learned a ton about why clothes are expensive, yeah. right? It's a, it's a very expensive process. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that I've learned about that is, is everyone has a niche, right? Yes. You, 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 you've learned your demographic and, and I know the brand that she worked with, yeah. it was a very specific, very small niche. Yeah. And, and one of the things they learned over this COVID season, yep. which we'll talk about in a little bit with you, is, you know, really how much of the business was now coming in via e- e-commerce and how they were able to learn better of who their customer was through that Yeah, is because they're seeing direct orders from consumers mm-hmm. and what they're ordering together and how they're ordering it gave them a better feel for then how to plan their styles for, in their case, I think it was spring 21. Okay. Yep. And so they said, you know, we have a better, the buyers would say one thing, but our consumers are using their money to tell us something different. Yeah. And have you learned that through your, your side of, of kind of, are your buyers through the wholesale side, you know, have you learned more through the e-commerce direct than you did through the buyers or combination of both? So my philosophy is that I do believe that the omni-channel is still the most important, right? So, you know, I, I just mentioned over the last couple of years, we've we've invested heavily in, in terms of our e-commerce platform. It still continues to be very, very important. And yes, there are there negatives to, in terms of knowing the end customer when it has to go through a, a retail partner in the middle. Yes, you do not know exactly how she chooses to behave and make her decisions. Would I like to have more insight on that? Yes, I would. But at the end of the day, I still think the best experience is the combination of someone that can walk into a physical location, try on product, ideally work with somebody that knows and understands the product Mm -hmm. to help service you know, the consumer's needs, right? right? And essentially then also having, I don't want to say behind it, but in addition to it, this e-commerce capability, right? right? Because depending on any any individual's behavior, a certain individual might start their shopping process online and then go convert in store. Really? Or while others will 
go through the shopping experience and let's just say like, oh, they like, you know, this jacket, this dress and this skirt. And then she was kind of eyeballing this blouse right. that, you know, she was like, oh, maybe, maybe not while she right. was going through that same in-store experience. Right. But having like a fully functioning omni-channel experience, she's allowed to go home and say, you know what? I need that extra piece. Right. I need that, you know, right. uh, you know, and fill in the blank. And right. that allows to give the consumer what, what, what she actually needs. And, and then, then, then like the example that I give the contrary of that is, Oh, a woman says, okay, time is valuable. Right. Before she walks in the store, she kind of, kind of wants to eyeball Oh, what, what brands catches my eye. Right. right. She's going to go on the, the Neiman's website or go on the, you know, the Nordstrom's website or the Dillard's website and say, okay, what, what brands do I normally buy? What attracts my attention from right. a color or silhouette standpoint? And right. okay. And then she's going to have a more, you know, targeted approach right. you know, when she ends up in store. So I think at the end of the day, it's still really important to have both. Right. right? And I, my only defense on that is like Amazon is, is buying like, you know, retail space. Right. Right. You know, they're, they're looking for, you know, they, they, they have like the whole foods acquisition. They're trying to, to make distribution centers in like, I think JC Penney's now. Oh, wow. Because of like the JC Penney's. Right. Like, they're like yeah. bankruptcy. They're, they're looking to acquire pieces right. of it. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to come to fruition or not, but they're looking for physical presence right. too. So I figured if Amazon's looking for physical presence, I think everyone should have a, a, like a solid balance right. Of, right. of both. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's, um, you know, and what, what you do, I guess you have, to, you have to have so many areas of expertise because you have, you know, you still do do some manufacturing probably, yes, right? we do. And then you have the different brands. Yes. And so you have a distribution point, then you have an e-commerce site, then you have yeah. a wholesale side, the whole time trying to better understand your customer. Yes. And understand what she wants now and what she's going to want next year. And that's the, the, that's what blows my mind about the fashion business that that's hard for me to completely understand is, you know, you have something successful this year, but if you're almost like an artist, you're only good as what your last season was. Right. Absolutely. And so you're hoping that, that what you put together for, you know, I guess you're working on two seasons or three seasons ahead. Yep. What you have a vision for there is what they're going to have what they're going to want then. Yep. And it's, and that's what I've learned. It's a little bit of a roll of the dice. I mean, you know, and you've done it enough where it's mm -hmm. probably not as stressful as it used to be, but it's still, it, you know, it, it's still, because you don't want to be stale, right? Yes. So it's still stressful, right? And the best analogy I, I would give is a lot of people have walked into a cheesecake factory, right? And they have a pretty robust menu. By when I say robust menu, it's kind of like they got salad. It's overwhelming, right? It's got salads, it's got pizza, it's got Italian, Asian, like it's got everything, right? right? So just imagine going into a cheesecake factory and you're expecting them to change their menu every about 60 to 90 days. Wow. So that's, that's what I right. feel fashion is like, right? Because, you know, specifically for the brands that we, that we do, we're, we're collection driven, meaning mm -hmm. by, by that definition is that we have a wide variety of, of solutions to an individual's wardrobe, meaning we have bottoms, we have dresses, we have blouses, jackets, tops. So that's the Asian, Italian burger wings, like, right, right. right. And, but the thing is, What's different, like at a, what, what, what I would say would different at like at a restaurant where if you have your favorite salad at, you know, the Cheesecake Factory, you have your favorite cheesecake at your Cheesecake Factory. Whenever you go back, you go for, you go back for that favorite salad and that favorite and, cheesecake, and, right? Yeah. But for specifically fashion apparel, 
right? It's not there. Well, if you the brand's it, there, but well, it's not. If you like something, you generally don't want to spend money to have something just like it, right? That's you true. Want, you want something that's right. similar to it that right. that invokes the same emotional feeling of what you really like, but chances are you don't want something just like it, right? Right. So our business is every sixty to ninety days. We have to kind of understand how a certain individual. Um, response to a certain category or a certain look, a certain trend, a certain color, all these things, right? Yeah. And and you have to take all these things into account. <laughs> and you kind of, and when you kind of say roll the dice, I probably shouldn't be saying this on the podcast, but yeah, it is, it is a roll of a dice. Sure. You know, you like, can say, we, we talk about all kinds of stuff here. <laughs> no, how many times we screwed up and everything else. So trust me, that's not like, you're good. If, 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 if anyone in the business literally had that, that magic crystal ball and mm-hmm. say like, you can really, really predict what's going to be on trend or what the consumer is going to respond to. Oh my God. Like you yeah, kill it in this sure, business. Right? right. You know? So I tell my team all the time, it's like, we just want to be right 51% of the time. And that, that's, that's really what it is. Yeah. We just work our tails off to be right 51% of the time. Yeah. Right. So that's awesome. One of the reasons I love talking to you is you met Davin earlier in the hall. Yes. yes. Uh, you and Davin, it seems like you guys have more of an operational mind the way you work. And I'm kind of, up in the clouds, butterflies yeah, and yeah. ideas and, and no organization at all. And that's one of the things I appreciate about you is you have a really clear way of in your brain, putting together all the parts of your business and how it works together like a clock. Right. Yeah. To me, I just, man, I, I just plug the thing in. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it, it's, it's really fun hearing from you how those things work. So one of the most interesting things about you and, and especially your business is how you got started. And this okay. is one of my favorite okay. entrepreneurial stories of okay. all time. And so share that with the audience okay. and, and, and talk a little bit about your parents and kind of how they got started and yeah. all the way up to today and you different places yeah. you've moved and why. And okay. It's a great story. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. So when you kind of talk about like my personality, obviously I'm the byproduct of my parents, right? So my dad's personality is actually very similar to yours. Total visionary, right? Um, I would say he's the type of person that if you put him in a sales meeting, he'll make promises that he doesn't even know that he can keep yet, but he'll just, he'll just make the promise and then turn around and work his tail off to make sure like I said this and now I have to do it. Right. So, so that's just the way that he, he's always operated. Right. And then my mom is like, is the exact opposite. Right. Very methodical, has a plan, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she needs a ton of information to to be able to proceed into work. So for those that are into like the personality assessments, like if you're into like culture index, this it's a high D in mm-hmm. in like uh, Colby, it's high fact finder right, type stuff, right? right? So I, I'm naturally like, I'm, I'm obviously the byproduct of the two of them. So I kind of have a little bit of both. So that's kind yeah. of like why you kind of see me that way. Right. right. And so then part of the reasons why, why I say this is this kind of goes into how, like, you know, how my parents really essentially started this story. So let's go way back. My parents were born and raised in Taiwan. And this is after like, like the KMT, you know, lost to the communists and like, you know, so my, my, my grandfather's were in the military. And so because, you know, they were on the other side, they weren't communists. They had to flee the country. Right. So they all fled to Taiwan. So it's like a ton of native Chinese people now flooding the island of Taiwan. And so whatever career that you had before, you kind of have to start from scratch. Right. 
And my dad's, my grandfather, father, right, my dad's dad, he started in this, this, uh, the fashion apparel manufacturing business, you know, back in the day in the seventies and eighties, when everything was made in Taiwan, that was kind of like, you know, what they did. And they, they made coats for Sears back in the day when Sears dominated right. like the retail landscape. The, the Amazon of the day. Yeah. The Amazon of the day. And they, and the way that their business worked was they, they had such a small operation that they made like one item for six months out of the year and then another item for the other six months out of the year. And that was just literally the volume was so high with Sears that they would make like maybe like pea coats for like six months out of the year. Really? And then they make like a spring coat after that. And th that's just, that was it. That was, that was it. Right. Wow. And then, uh, so that's how my dad kind of got in the start of like just growing up kind of in the, in the, in the manufacturing side. And then on, on my mom's side, my grandmother on my mom's side is actually a fairly well-known Chinese artist, like for traditional Chinese painting and stuff like that. Okay. So you kind of get like the the business and the art side, like because my parents are completely opposites, right. and like you know, like they're perfect for each other, but they're completely opposites. Right. So poor families, both sides, and my dad decides to come to U.S. Right. He applies for two schools. Fashion Institute of Technology because of what the family did. Mm -hmm. And the other one was BYU because Mormon missionaries went to his house and he would talk to them to practice his English. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So they convinced him to apply to BYU. <laughs> That's right? cool. So the only two schools he applied to was BYU and FIT. Wow. Right. Okay. I don't think he got into BYU. And so he only got into FIT. So this was probably in 1978. Probably 78. Now, so, is that the same school that's there now? Same so, spot? The whole same bit? spot. Everything. So my, my entire family went to FIT and I'm the only person that didn't go to really? FIT. Really? Yeah. My brother, my sister-in-law, like they, they all went to FIT. Like my brother and my sister, they met at FIT. No way. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So my so my dad went to FIT for uh, a year before uh, my mom and I followed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he was living in the dorms and then my mom and I were, were, were going to we came, I think, in 78, 79. And so they moved. He's like, oh, I can't live in the dorm anymore because I got my, my wife and child. So he decided to move to Queens. So we lived in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment, right, that we shared with another family. So we lived in one bedroom, and another family lived in another bedroom. And they were just trying, like, to make a living. And someone said that, hey, you can learn how to knit from this company if you pay 200 bucks to buy a machine, they'll teach you how to do it, right? And you can knit at home. And like my dad doing all the thinking here is like, you know, look at my mom, you can do this. You can do this and take care of like me, right? You right. know, so, so he essentially kind of just like, and $200 for them at the time was like a ton of money, right? Yeah. So they bought a machine, she went through training and it was the type of stuff where like, they would bring the raw materials and the yarn at the beginning of the week. And they'd say, this is what you had to, to do. And then you you do it and they come back a week later and they pick it up and you got paid by the piece, right? So she did that. And my dad decided to get a job at a grocery store being like a stock boy making for like, like $2.50 or $3 an hour type of stuff. And he caught pneumonia because in the summertime he was carrying produce in and out of the freezer. Right. Yeah. So he got, got really sick and my mom got worried and she's like, you know, you can't really do this. And then her idea, she's like, I'll teach you how to knit too. Okay. <laughs> and and the, the, the way things are, most of the things are automated right now, but back then, like it was a very manual process. Right. Right. And having physical strength helped. 
Oh, yeah. really? It, it just because you, you, there's, there's a thing that you kind of like slide back and forth. Right. So just being stronger, my dad was able to kind of power through these things. So, so she, and, she, and, and then she, like, she was pretty smart about this. She was like, look, I'm going to teach you like the easy stuff right? Things that, that don't require a whole lot of skill that we could, you kind of just like leverage, you know, like just the male mentality. You, you just, she just let them power through this. <laughs> right, right. Right. So, so, and keep in mind, you're, you're being paid by the piece here. So he made certain things, all the easy stuff, but he, he cranked, out, cranked, the vol- he, it, he yeah. cranked out the volume and then she made this stuff that was a little more difficult. In a couple of weeks, my dad realized he's like, he's making more money, more money than she is. Mm-hmm. Right. And then right around that time, the second family moved out of the other bedroom of, of this two bedroom apartment, right? I was probably two years old at the time. I was just like, I, I still remember them leaving. I was kind of upset. And cause when you're a kid, you kind of like having a, sure. a whole bunch of people around, sure. but you could, you could just imagine just being an adult, like how tough that is to share oh, like yeah. with a, with a complete other family. Right. So I thought that second bedroom was going to be for me, right? <laughs> but being the, like the, the type of personality that's probably similar to you, my dad just like, you know what? I'm going to turn the second bedroom into our first production facility, right? He's probably going to get in, tr- I'm probably going to get in trouble because that's, it's probably breaking all sorts of labor laws. It was back it's, in the day though. It was back in the day, right? You know, when, when kids hey, have New to New York has way bigger problems yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he decided to uh, to change, take that second bedroom and convert it into his quote unquote first, I guess, warehouse or production. So I remember, I I actually still remember the layout of, of the room. It's like he had his machine, my mom had hers, and then they hired two other people that, you know, one person would sew and then like another knitter. And this is, you know, when you talk about the late 80s, the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of apparel manufacturing was still done domestically in the United States. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad literally took their product and it went down seventh Avenue into all the various showrooms going to say like, I don't care who you have doing this for you, but I promise you I can make this cheaper, faster and better than whoever it is you use. And this is like a guy that has like him, his wife and two employees in a little bedroom wow. in like, in like Queens, New York. Right. right. And this is like totally him. Right. I, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally him. So then, like, so you shop, and then, then this is like them designing their own collection and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, door to door, just knocking, and then he just wasn't getting anywhere. And then and someone just gave him kind of like unsolicited advice. He was like, look, the product that you have from a collection standpoint, it really sucks. Like, you really have no idea in terms of what the consumer wants in the marketplace. Right. He was like, well, but your quality's not bad, Right. So his recommendation was instead of starting your own brand and trying to do your own collection, just go into general contracting, mm-hmm. right? So, and that essentially that's what he did. And he, my dad made the same promises to a bunch of other brands that had their own collection and just say, hey, can I be a production resource for you specifically on the, on, on the knit apparel side? Right. And it was like a whirlwind. Like they were working like seven days a week, like 10 hours a day. You know, I remember us moving first into like our real warehouse facility and like in Astoria, New York. And, but he got, they got so big so fast that like within three or four years, he bought the whole building. Really? Yeah. Like he, like he was just like killing it. That's crazy. Like killing it. Right. And just cause he's just a gamer, you know what I mean? Like right. when, whenever like people would, during the slow seasons, they would move production to other places. He just drop his prices just to kind of keep his, his, his facility running and stuff. Right. right. You know, quality product, timely delivery, fair pricing. Just, he just, yeah. 
He's figured it out. Yeah. No, he just did a great job. And then, but it was until we got to like the mid, so this fast forward this to about like the mid eighties, it got to a point where more and more manufacturing was moving out of the United States. It started like into like Turkey and Italy and stuff like that. So it just became harder to kind of stay competitive, just manufacturing in the United States. And then he also had this issue with, because by the time, like my brother and I were like, like five and nine years old or something like that. And he didn't want to raise our family in New York. So like almost overnight, they moved down to South Florida. That random, just same visionary, just, just, just looks like a good place. Let's go. Look like a good place. They started there. And then that was when they started the, the company that we have right now. And they started it with another designer. And then the designer was supposed to be front of house. And he was just going to be, you know, front stage, backstage right. separation. He was only, they were only supposed to be backstage because that was kind of like what their prior experience was. And about six months kind of into it, they realized the designer just really only wanted to do all like the fun stuff associated as being like the designer of, of an apparel brand and didn't want to do any of the work. So they bought her out and he literally just, and this is, they just made my mom like the kind of like the new fashion creative director of, of this, awesome. of, of this business. Right. That's awesome. And um, so this was kind of like in the mid eighties and like they, they struggled, you know, like all the success that they had before, like, this is kind of like when I mentioned, it's so much harder to kind of establish your, your, your own brand and, and establish that kind of following. Mm-hmm. And they lost, they probably, I think our family came close to being bankrupt, like probably two times between in the 10 year period between like 85 to 95 and stuff like that. So it was a, like, it was a real struggle. And I, and I, growing up, I, I saw the two of them like really, really work their tail off. You know, like I remember my mom going to the ER because of exhaustion and stuff like that. It was just like, yeah. you know, and so me growing up, my summers after school, you had to work in the facility, man. Right. Like, you know, like my first experience in terms of working with my dad, he made me clean the warehouse and he didn't want to spend that much money on a dumpster. Right. So he got the small dumpster and I was like probably 10, 11 years old. And I was like a fat kid. And he had me throw all the garbage in the dumpster. And I was like, and I come back, I'm like the dumpster. I was like, dad, dumpster's full. It's like, no, it's not. Right. I was like, what do you mean? Dumpster's full. Right. He's like, go inside, go jump around. Right. Right. So like, as a fat kid, I climbed into the dumpster right? Mm-hmm. Jump up and down on the dumpster to just to kind of squish everything down just so I can throw more stuff into it. And then we jump back in and then like squish. So sure. that was like a human trash compact. <laughs> like that was, that was my experience in terms of working with it. Cause like, no, but I, I get it right. Nowadays is like, you, you got, you got to make every, every dollar count. Right? right. And then, so, so growing up, that's how I spent my summers. That's how I spent my, uh, like after school. Right. So like the minute I got my car, man, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm out. Like I'm out. So I, like, I got my own job. I got like, so the thing that, that, that kind of like the, the, the tipping point of why I, I said I would never do what I actually do today was I, I think I was like 15 years old and this was, this is, you know, getting to nineties. So then they, my dad decided to invest into like these uh, automated knitting machines. Right. At the time, it's still a lot of money. I think they were like, like about, I think about $200,000 a piece, right? Wow. Huge money. Like, yeah. And so he bought two of them and then he was doing his calculations. And I remember one day at, at dinner, he's like, you know what? If we ran this three shifts, meaning 24 hours, we can make our money back on this 
like in this many months less, right? right? right. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm like, who's going to run the third shift? Right. <laughs> and he's just looking at you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I remember like 15 years old, no license, no car, like in my summer, just like 10, I think it was like 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. in the summer of Miami. It was like the worst thing ever, man. And like, <laughs> I, I vowed to like never be part of the business. <laughs> you want that, it out quick. Yeah, I want it out quick, yeah. you know, but it's, it's, it's weird how things, but so that's, that's, that's how we got started. And like, I, as much as I hated it then, I love what I do now. So, so how did you get back? How'd you wind up back getting back into it? It was by accident too. So I, I, I went to, I went to university of Michigan. I got my uh, degree in econ and accounting and I went into like uh, corporate finance, not because I had any interest in it. It's just cause I thought like, how can I make the most money without ever relying on mom and dad and never ever having to, to do anything, you know, fashion apparel related. Right. So I did that. I moved to Chicago and I worked for a company called Arthur Anderson. They got, they got kind of uh, dragged into the whole Enron situation. Right. And I was in my early twenties or mid twenties and you know did pretty well and wasn't that concerned about finding another job. They gave us a pretty decent severance package and I thought I was going to travel the world, but everyone else was working. So I didn't ever want to travel with. So I went home to Miami and just decided like, I want to hang out and you can only hang out for so long. So I did that for about two weeks and I just offered to help, but it had nothing to do with, this is what I want to do. I just said, like, look, like I, like I'm a total waste I'm here. Yeah. I'm just here. You know, I want to be useful. Right. I just want to help. And it started as, Hey, let me help you with this. And then I'll leave after that. Let me help you with that. And I'll leave after that. And then like six months later, I was still kind of like around until I said, you know what? I actually see there's some potential here. Yeah. And that's, that's why I made the commitment to kind of like jump on. And then, so my dad being, he's like, okay, yeah, I need you to run like the New York Shore. I was like, but dad, we don't have a New York Shore. He was like, well, he's <laughs> like, crap, man. If I, if I could have done it, I would have done it years ago. Right. right. So he's like, I, you're going to go do it. I'm like, all right. I'm like, how do we do it? He's like, again, if I knew how to do it, then we would, you know, right, would have been asking right. you to do it. Yeah. So literally got pushed over like the deep end of the pool, right? Just like had my entire professional background doing this one thing. And I moved to New York and I was an independent sales rep and I only got to eat what I killed. Right. Yeah, so no right. salary, commission based only. Right. So the first year in living in New York City, I made $19,000. <laughs> yeah, didn't go real far in New York. No, I didn't. You know, um, but so to, to to this day, I'm actually still commission based. I like the mentality, right? right? So, I like that. You know, so uh, over the years, uh, we transitioned the business. Um, back then, it was primarily boutiques and specialty stores. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we were able to do, which I hope that I had a, a little bit fairly responsible for, is we kind of converted our business from a lot of these boutiques and specialty stores to more um, your nationally recognized major department stores. So that's kind of, you know, my professional career in terms of how I kind of got involved. But yeah, I started as a sales guy. That's such an amazing story. And you know, there's so many correlations between you and I yes. that, that I'm, I'm just picking up on that. I, yep. I can remember having those exact conversations of, you know, I'm never moving back to my hometown. I'm never going to work for the family business again. Yeah. You know, and uh, somehow or another we did, but both of us took that and kind of took a different path and kind of created it and made it our own. Yeah. 
um, yeah. and and did something different. And you know, we're both thankful for the heritage. Absolutely. Of starting it, you know, yeah. that's that's one of the great things for those of you that have a family business that understand is, you know, if it's been passed along from generation to generation, somebody had to start this thing. Yes. And just like sometimes a brand is the hardest thing to start, a business is just like just it. Just as hard. And that's the hard part. And then yeah. being able to take it and, and learning so much from it and being able to take something, even creating something new from yeah. that and growing it. I wouldn't say it's easy, but it definitely makes the startup part easier. Yes, absolutely. Right. There's always risk go along with that, but that's the fun part. Yeah. Great story. Thank you for sharing that. And for our listeners, you know, again, we're always looking for feedback on this podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Give us some critical feedback how we can make this thing better. Go to our website at accessefm.com. Check us out there. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a tweet. Give us a thumbs up. And appreciate you guys listening.